Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast host Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. A rested child is a happy child. Sleep Tight Stories is a weekly podcast that brings comfort and joy to families worldwide with calming bedtime stories. The stories are relevant to children and spark wonder without overstimulation, so they can fall asleep and stay asleep. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For a bedtime routine you'll miss when they're grown, Sleep Tight Stories. Welcome to Money Making Conversations. It's the show that shares the secrets of success experienced firsthand by marketing and branding expert Rashawn McDonald. I will know. He's given me advice on many occasions, and in case you didn't notice, I'm not broke. You know he'll be interviewing celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It's what he likes to do. It's what he likes to share. Now it's time to hear from my man, Rashawn McDonald. Money Making Conversations. Here we go. Welcome to Money Making Conversations Masterclass. I am your host, Rashawn McDonald. I recognize that we all have different definitions of success. For you, it may be the size of your paycheck. Mine is inspiring people to accomplish their goals and live their very best life. It's time to stop reading other people's success stories and start writing your own. People always talk about their purpose or gifts. If you have a gift, leave with your gifts and don't let your friends, family, or coworkers stop you from planning or living your dreams. My guest is Nathaniel Nico Annen was born in an army base in Germany to a black Southern woman born in, in a West African man from Ghana. Nico, as he's affectionately known, was raised in Detroit, Michigan, the Motor City. He dismystifies the myths around Southern black men, black gay men, and those identifying in the non-binary space and they live four lives that they can lead. Nico originated the role of Uncle Clifford in the popular show P-Valley and played that character since 2011. To date, he is the only character that played Arthur Clifford, as well as on the television show P-Valley. The Stars Network, the award-winning series P-Valley, is back for season two. P-Valley, if you don't know, it's an engrossing drama of family, friendship, and survival. Every Sunday, you can catch it, 10 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. This season is richly crafted characters deal with sacrifice, ethical dilemmas, identity, family, love, trust, and betrayal, while also facing the aftermath of the decision from season one. Please welcome the Money Making Conversation Masterclass for the first time, Nico Anman. How you doing, my friend? 
I'm great. I'm great. Thank you so much for having me here. First you of all, know, it's my first time. Hopefully, it won't be the last. Oh no, 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 no! I'll be <laughs> mad if you if you're if last because you are you are a star. You are a star. You are an individual. Thank you, brother. You know, you're an individual that. Let's let's talk about the character because you know in your bio they said you've been playing this character or a character like this since 2011. So that means that character did not originate on the television series I've seen. You've been playing it before that. Give us some background history on your character and how did they get to that point? Because like I said, you know, because you have some great you know designs in your beard and all that stuff that you're not wearing right now. I have a beard. I remember I did a movie. They cut my beard a certain way. And so let's, yeah. let's talk about that character development, because I'm sure it was inspired a lot by your own imagination. Um, it was inspired a lot by my own imagination, but uh, primarily from Katori Hall's imagination. Katori okay. uh, Hall is our showrunner and the creator of this universe that she has here, um, but here in P-Valley. This actually started a little earlier than 2011, back in 2009. Okay, great. Um, yeah, I was living in New York. Um, at the time, I was an actor. I was choreographing and directing. So I was doing all three. And I was in between gigs, and I received an invitation to go to Katori's house. Uh, and she was having a salon series. She used to have this thing called Black Mondays, because right. in the theater, it's dark on Mondays. Absolutely. So they, in, in theater language, we say it's Black. Mm -hmm. um, because all the lights are off. Mm -hmm. And so what happened was she was, she had a writing fellowship at the Lark theater company. It's an off Broadway house in New York. And through that salon series, it was a group of writers, actors, musicians that just got together to read or talk about their ideas and new material that they had. And, a collective, so to speak, kind of like James Baldwin's or Neil Hurston, you right. know, the Renaissance group back in the day. Um, they were creating their own version of that. And essentially what happened, there was a lot of networking that was happening across the platform among all these different Black artists. It was not necessarily somewhat, none of us at the time were on Broadway or had big major motion picture deals. It literally was about conversation and who is it that has points of access and just different ideas. So one of her co-writers in the fellowship, Dominique Mariso, who they both since have been like Tony Award nominations and all these uh, accreditations and awards decorating them. Yes, um, she said, I'm looking for a person that kind of houses this uh, feminine energy, yet a masculine energy. I have this idea for this character. And it was all these things. And when I got there, there were five pages, man. There were five pages. And on those five pages, only two of them Uncle Clifford was in. There was two different scenes. And it was the description of Uncle Clifford um, emerging from the shadows of the club, uh, eyelashes like butterfly wings <laughs> and nails like eagle talons. Uh, Uncle Clifford. Um, right. And so that's how it all started. Now, how tall are you? Because you're, you're, you're not a I small am six guy. 6'2". Two. Six two. I am not. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm definitely a man of size. I'm 6'2". I'm <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, as they say, cornbread fed. Well, like, I, mean? I just said, Nico, you know, because your, your body was introduced in the pilot. You know what I'm saying? When you was uh, mm -hmm. you know, saw that real look and everything. So, uh -huh. so nudity. That was nudity. How did you feel? Was mm -hmm. that an uncomfortable moment for you? You had to prepare for that moment? Talk about that in the pilot scene. 
I think you always have to prepare for any person that you know, you know, that as an artist in general, where you are using your body to tell the story, right. you're using your soul to tell the story. Um, I know as an artist, I am, especially, I'm going to tell you this, being a man of a certain age, I think in my 20s, it was, it could have uh, maybe messed me up a little bit more because right. I was more into the constraints of what people thought I should be. Right. But I'm a grown man now, you know, the thirties, you know, they taught me how to really be who I am and to have a level of self-acceptance. But in regards to uh, the show and how the nudity works, it's a, the show takes place in this club called the pink and it's a strip club. And so we're talking about these people who are marginalized and definitely have an idea. They know what they're doing and they're working in the sex work industry. And it just made sense that in this industry, there's a level of awareness and comfortability of being in one's body. And now stepping outside of that as the actor and the artist, I had to ask myself the question and I proposed it to the uh, producers in my camera test for the series, the TV series, it was more so they said, how do I feel about it? And my question to them was, when was the last time that you saw a full-figured body, male or female, dark-skinned, right. being made love to on the screen? Right. And I felt that that image of someone being full, you know, and, and being shown love, being made love to, being loving. I thought that that was just a, a revolutionary visual. So I was definitely open to it, you know, and there's a process to get to it. But yeah. Yeah. No, like I said, I always tell people who come on my show and also the people who watch or listen to the show, there's a process. You know, this is never, Absolutely. you know, you have to meet with your other cast members and set boundaries about what makes you feel comfortable, what makes that other person feel comfortable so it can feel natural. I'm sure this happened with you on this series as well, correct? Absolutely. We definitely have intimacy coaches and uh, the intimacy coach is the interact in the medial, in the middle, the median that works between different actors, the directors, what the script demands and what, how do we get there? And it's really great. So I'm talking to Nico. Uh, I, 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 I'm going to call him my friend, you know, Uncle Clifford. Yeah. Uncle Clifford, because he is somebody who comes into your life super confident, but also is surrounded by a, a, a world of people, not just women, but a world of people, customers, who really don't don't know what they, 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 they live in a fantasy world. And sometimes that fantasy world can be cruel. But I would tell you this, what I really like about this show, P-Valley, you see the word strip, you see the word black, you just think you're going to see a ton of nudity. And that is not the case. It's the story, it's the characters, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's, the, late, it's the lines. Talk about that because that's what people initially think, correct? Emma? The stereotype is when you hear black club, strip club, you hear nudity, nudity, and that is not the case. I, in fact, the nudity, when I watch the series, it comes so casual that I don't notice it because I'm so engaged into the character storyline. And that's really a blessing, mm -hmm. correct, Nico? It's, it's more than a blessing. I felt like it's a, it's a necessity in the way that we had to tell the story. This is definitely, I think that Katori really wanted to make sure that there's definitely the fact that women and female bodies have really been looked at and used in a certain way in cinema specifically and over-sexualized. Mm 
But here in this world, I think that there is something that we call the female gaze. And that's something that's always asked of people, the different directors that are coming on the show. That's something that uh, we think about as a cast. Um, And the female gaze, that does not only pertain to the female body, but how is it that you can see the world without objectification? Right. Um, I think that through that space, you, you get to see the athleticism of these pole dancers and to see what it takes to physically do the things that they are doing to haul themselves up this pole, to, to, to fly around, to walk on the ceiling and on clouds. That's actually the big metaphor for the show, the pole. The pole, there's a line that always says, sometimes rising feels like falling and falling feels like rising. Right. So the pole is actually meant to be the metaphor for life and in a way that we as Black people, especially Black Southerners, have existed and made it through the day. We'll be right back with more Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. Now let's return to Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. Well, Nico, I'm going to tell you, you brought up the pole now. It's, yeah, come on. I'm telling you, that Keisha. My God. Yes, don't move too fast, because I got to give two mm-hmm. of them outstanding credit. Keisha okay. and Mercedes, okay? But let's first go with Keisha. My, mm-hmm. my, 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 my. I'm just talking from an athletic standpoint. I'm not talking from a sexual standpoint. What I'm seeing that she mm-hmm. does on that pole, it, it has to be mouth-dropping to the cast. And where did they find her? And what is her background as an athlete because she has to have gymnastics in her background correct why do you say that because of the fact she's so comfortable on a pole she's flexible she's able to mm-hmm. she's able to manipulate it because i like i said i'm not doing it justice you have to watch the series to see what she's able to do as far as uh, from a from a ballerina standpoint she is yeah. really poet poetic on that pole, you know, where where Mercedes is a force. Not saying she's not sexual, but she's a force. Is it's like yeah. watching a running back and a and a wide receiver. A wide receiver yeah. flows. You know what I'm saying? That's Keyshawn. A running back mm-hmm. can flow too, but he can hit that hole. And if you hit him, you he can knock you off. That's Mercedes. That's right. That's, That's Mercedes. Right. That's right. And so, That's right. And so, so, so you ain't gonna get me, Nico. I know you ain't gonna get me. I watch this show now. <laughs> I'm not trying to get you. No, what's, 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 I love that you are actually saying this. You, you use uh, the football metaphors and comparisons, and it definitely is accurate. All of the dancers, the thing about it is in a strip club, Every dancer has a different style. Yes, Some do. of the dancers are uh, well, like twerkers. So like there's a group of our core dancers and some of them run what in the club is called twerk town. Right. And twerk town are like, you know, the, the platform stages that are within the actual club, not right. on the main stage with the pole. Mm-hmm. And some of the girls work there like toy. But then when you talk about Miss Mississippi, who is played by Shannon Thornton, she is, that character is meant to be like the masterpiece. She's based off, she's called Miss Mississippi because she moves like water. Mm-hmm. And her moving <laughs> like water is rooted in the African deity of Yemeya. Uh-huh. Yemeya being the goddess of water and of power. You know, Mercedes is, like you mentioned, Mercedes is played by Brandy 
uh, Evans. I was gonna say Brandy Norwood, but uh, Brandy Evans. Right, right, right. Wrong Brandy. That's the singer. <laughs> That's not my not my friend the singer, but my friend the actress Miss Brandy Evans. Okay. And she, her style of dancing is definitely much more athletic. It's definitely much more physical, and it also lends to the the personality of the dancer, you know, uh, where there's levels of aggression or where there's level of fluidity. Uh, I think that dance, being a choreographer and Brandy being a dancer and Shannon having danced before, none of them danced as uh, pole dancers, but were physical dancers. Ellarica Johnson, who plays Autumn Night, she has an extensive background in martial arts. So there was a level of physicality that all of us had in our bodies. Right. Then what has to happen is that we go through a training program. We go through boot camp. Mm-hmm, <laughs> we right. literally go through boot camp, just like all of the Marvel characters, just like when you go do an action movie. There's about three to four months before we actually start filming that everybody goes to pole classes. You're going to stretch classes. Got to get your hips open. Got to get the back. You got to do all the conditioning because it tears up your hands, your knees. You get a lot of bruising and things like that. Um, and some of the girls are definitely sharing some of that background on social media that, you know, you guys get to see of what it all takes because the show and the world is kind of meant to be our own kind of urban Cirque du Soleil, so to speak. Well, that term's used actually in the series as well, Cirque du Soleil, and it's used to Mississippi, her character, uh, Keyshawn's role, because she's married mm-hmm. to... Um, a guy, I won't give too much of a story away, but somebody she shouldn't be, she shouldn't, I shouldn't use the word married. She's she's living with a guy who she has a child with that's not creating mm-hmm. an, an, a comfortable home life for her. And that, that, that slides into the, who I really love this guy who plays the role of Diamond. I, I You know, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, not often did you see a show where the the bouncer is is sensitive, but, but dangerous. You know what I'm saying? You know, yeah. you know it's like, I look at Diamond, you know, a, a diamond, you know, it's like I, I feel that I, I could lose his, he could crush me, but then he can also pick me up and take me and rescue me at the same time after he's crushed me. You know what I'm saying, Nico? So talk about those characters. When you see a character like a diamond's character and then, then being able to develop that out, how, how special do you feel in the role from episode to episode to episode? I feel great. Uh, I feel blessed. I feel really, uh, I know that this is a special time as an artist, uh, as an actor, you don't always get roles that are so rich and that are really rooted in a level of truth that represent your community, that can represent a a fraction of your life that you have been through. I think that this show, it definitely takes all the different marginalized communities, all and the marginalized within the marginalized. You know, uh, one of the beautiful things and attractive points to me about this project is that it wasn't just the women who come in and out these doors. You talked about the bouncer, our diamond. Um, That's the character's name. And diamond is played by Tyler Lepley. And Tyler is able to bring a level of sensitivity as well as complexity to the role coming as a former um, uh, armed officer, Mm -hmm. not officer of the law, but uh, armed forces. Mm -hmm. Um, And and what that did to him being in the war and that that postpartum that comes from there. Um, I think that it's also he's... He's a a, a root man, you know, he's a a black man and a Southern man that 
was raised in knowing the powers of the earth and very strong African medicine right. um, and how that works. And sometimes you don't get to see that in an urban body, you know, right. in a contemporary body. Like, what does that look like? You know, it's not some kind of hoodoo, hokey magic. It is literally something that's rooted in tradition. Like, have you ever swept your grandmother's foot by mistake? Um, <laughs> <laughs> You right. know what I'm saying? So that salt goes over the shoulder. Yeah, absolutely. You know, absolutely. absolutely. You know, you, you know, left the, like, left you the know, purse on the, the floor. Kind of okay, the purse on the floor. Get that good girl boy, you know. <laughs> exactly. Those things. So um that those kinds of things and southern southern uh isms are are woven into this story. And that actually is a part of where Katori started her writing. Her writing has always used and highlighted Southern culture in all of its capacities to make it so. Here, here's the thing that really I, first of all, I'm a former sitcom writer. I've done a lot of productions in my life. It's definitely a show that I know that y'all. He's uh, just being very gentle. I'm about to do an ultimate compliment. <laughs> The writing, the dialogue is incredible. I mean, this is this is just that writing room or the writers on the show have created a world that is so authentic that it's incredible. And when I when I when I when I look like Lil Murder, I'm waiting for his music. You know, it is so I'm waiting. When is it gonna drop? I'm gonna wait. Are they gonna drop a, a, a CD for this? Are they a soundtrack for this series? Yes. Yes, they, they literally have, we have a, 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 it's on all platforms right now. It goes episode by episode. Okay. So there, every time there's new music, it is out there. And it's not only the music of the character on the show, like Lil Murder, right. but the music of the Southern artists that we have gotten to be on the soundtrack. The show literally is meant to be a platform for the community. I think that's something that a lot of people were a little shocked by. But even one of our writers that writes music for Little Murder, the artist's name is New Money. New Money <laughs> is a brother. <laughs> New Money is a brother. He was working um, with us during season one. And you know what he was doing? Uh-uh. He, he was working at the food station. He was making our omelets. He was making wow. eggs. And one morning, we were there getting our breakfast. And, you know, he told Alphonse, J. Alphonse Nicholson, who is the actor who plays Lil Murder, Right. And he had told her, he was like, yo, man, I know you playing a rapper on the show. You know, I got some music. I got some music. <laughs> and so you got some music. Oh, that's what's up. That's what's up. Because people say that to you all the time. Absolutely. Right? And so what happened was he handed him, he sent him some music. He, he uh, you know, DM'd him the music or whatever. Alphonse went to go listen to the music. He heard it. He played it for one of our producers, Patrick. Patrick Ian Pope, one of the co-EPs. He then forwarded that on to Pretori Hall. And before you knew it, the song was worked in. He was brought on board. He's a writer. And here we are in season two. And this brother's life has changed. So again, just like I got put on with this project through a level of networking across from knowing Dominique Mariso, someone who I went to high school with. Right. She then knowing Katori Hall, who was someone she's in a writer's uh, 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 program with at the Lark Theater. And here I am. And then Antoine, <laughs> a.k.a. New Money, he was just working, getting a job. Right. Just get a job, but still connected to your passion, speaking it, that then turned into something where he now, as a writer and a musician himself, has elevated his platform and is bringing all this music to you. You know, it's just, it just is a, a testament to how we can move as a community. I, I would tell you something. Uh, the, the music is fantastic. The, the characters are fantastic. You know, when you say grandma, I'll be remiss 
Nico, if I don't bring up Loretta Devine, okay? I'll be very remiss if I don't bring up that character, brother. I love this lady. Come on, come on. That's my girl right there, man. You know, she starred yeah. on Netflix's Family Reunion and so many other series, you know, been around. Yeah. Uh, came from the University of Houston. We're back in Houston, Texas, back in the day, mm-hmm. a.k.a. True and True. Tell us about Are you from Houston? Absolutely, my friend. I'm Houston, okay. Texas. Okay, okay. Absolutely. So seeing her and seeing her play this 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 uh, this role, which is, is, as is Isaiah Washington, who was on the first season, oh. he's from Houston, Texas, Missouri City. Uh, which is a yep. suburb of Houston, Texas. So, so talk about yep. that relationship and her character. Working with Loretta Devine, <laughs> I always say, is simply divine. Right. Um, I, I had a, on a vision board to work with her on, I didn't know what project, you know, this was just something that I, I just always loved her spirit and her zeal. Um, when I met her, it was even more. It was even more. She is such a rich treasure. Like she's like a national treasure to 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 us as a people. I can't. I can't. I wanted to just say to me, but I don't want to hold her to myself. Um, when we work together, it is awesome. It is so much fun. We always have a level. I tend to do this generally uh when i'm playing uncle clifford there's a lot of improv that happens prior to we always do improv scenes prior to the scenes to get us in the flow because we just want to be in the moment um i am from detroit as you mentioned earlier but my family is rooted in, in the, the south. south absolutely you know detroit is just nothing but up south yes it is, down yes, south. It is. <laughs> you know so so there's a level of of comfortability that we have with one another and we really just bounce off and she's able to really just be there and drop in sometimes we I, I actually forget that you know we're not really related right. in real life you know, yeah, I, I, but, you know, she's amazing. Oh, I'm talking to Nico. He's one of the stars in an incredibly popular series of stars network called the P-Valley. You can catch it every Sunday night at 10 p.m. Eastern and Pacific time. I always try to educate myself. I always try to uplift. I always try to bring information to the show that we all need to be aware of and also learn mm-hmm. there's a, a level of respect we have to have for everybody. And I, in your introduction, I said he dis, he demystifies the myth around Southern black men, black gay men, and those identifying mm-hmm. in the non-binary space and uh, who live full lives. Uh, as, as we close out this interview, please explain to us exactly the importance of that and what are you trying to, what, what am I trying to say when I say that, what I just said? I think what you are saying to me, how I receive it, is that it is a new day. It is a time where we, regardless of how you identify, I think it's a time where we can see all of us, when we can acknowledge all of us, and when we can talk about it. Um, I come from a time from when it used to be the question of, are you sweet? Mm-hmm. Or do you have sugar in your tank? Mm-hmm. Or back in the day, uh, even Red Fox on Sanford and he was like, you know, he's a little. Mm-hmm. 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 You know, there were things that people always talked about. And I think that the importance of today is that we really get to be able to meet each other human being to human being. The character that I play, Uncle Clifford, is non-binary. And that's a person who is equally accepting of all 
of the things they cannot be held into a, a, a restrictive box. And I think when you have a question of how someone identifies, you simply do that. You can ask. That is the level of respect because one of the things I find with playing Uncle Clifford that no matter who you are or where you come from, you respect her. I think you respect her because you see her. So you see this body that is 6'2". You see this dark skin, these full lips, you see this beard, but you see this pretty face and you see these nails and you're like, what's going on? But you see someone walking with a level of confidence and clarity yes. even more so. And it's not even about um, any kind of bravado. You know what I mean? I think because when you see a woman that is walking in her full femininity, don't think that she has to be soft or you, she has to be in a pants suit to have authority. Right. You understand what I mean? Right. And you don't think that a, a brother, that he has to be wearing a moo <laughs> right. to be in touch with his feelings. You can be who you are in your sweatpants, in your athletic socks, in your business suit, <laughs> in your moo all of the things. Your speedos, anything. Think, oh, That's right. <laughs> come on. Come on now. Especially for us as a community. I feel so proud for this moment, honestly, brother, because there are people who still have high levels of homophobia. Absolutely, for sure. But I, what I do know about this time that I'm living in and this project is that there are people who are willing to make a change that are opening their minds, that are opening their, their, their minds, not only to the LGBTQ plus community and the full spectrum that we have, you know, between bisexual, pansexual, trans, as well as pansexual, you know, that I like it all. I think that, I think that people have really stigmatized sex workers and pole dancers for so long. Right. And then they watch this program and they're like, oh, they're real people just like me. They're going, they're working their way through school. They're taking care of their children. Yes. Or they're helping their, their grandparents, their caretakers. You know, you can go to the dentist and you not know that your dentist used to be up on the pole. Right. Or your dentist used to be diamond at a club. We all have a history but we also have the power to rewrite our future, right? Absolutely. But Nico, uh, I want to thank you. Uh, first of all, I want to give you a voice. I wanted to say thank you for allowing me to be entertained every Sunday. And if I, if I miss it on Sunday, I, I, I see it on repeat on my streaming. But uh, <laughs> great character. You catch it on the app. I love well, it. Well, you know, the thing I, I like you know, as we close this interview out is that your character's not over the top. It's a character I found mm -hmm. very realistic, you know, and but mm -hmm. you just plan who you are. And I think that's what you just said. Just being the person who you are, it doesn't have to be dressed a certain way. You can wear you're the same person in a in a, in, a, in a culottes, you're the same person in shorts, you're the same person in a dress, you're the same person in a suit, same person with the blonde wig, you're the same person. It's just being administered yeah. in a different look. And that's the exciting part about this show is that P Valley is a show with a different look. It's set in a small town, fictional city in Mississippi. The music is great. The acting is great. The drama is great. More importantly, you will fall in love with the characters. If you can't find Stars Network, find it. Drop that app. But more importantly, on Sunday night, drop that app so you can see this show. Thank you for taking the time to come on Money Making Conversation Masterclass. You are a star, and not only on P-Valley, but you're just a star in real life. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. We'll be right back with more Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. 
You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. Hi, I'm Rashawn McDonald from Money Making Conversations with your daily Minute of Inspiration. This week, I sat down with artist, author, co-owner of Reach Records and Three Strands Films partner, Lecrae. He discusses the purpose of his new YouTube series, Protect the Bag, not waiting on opportunities and starting his own production company. Yeah, so Reach Records is an independent label. Man, I, I, I've been doing this since I was a kid, you know, coming out of college. And so, you know, that's that's over 15 years mm-hmm. of, of running a, a, a successful label. By God's grace, we've always been profitable. And that's just a beautiful thing. One of the things that I would say is, is uh, I realized early on I was not going to sit around and wait for uh, somebody to embrace what I was doing. If you want to listen to this full interview with Lecrae, it's available on MoneyMakingConversations.com. Now let's return to Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. Welcome to Money Making Conversation Masterclass. I'm your host, Rashawn McDonald. I recognize that we all have different definitions of success. For you, it may be the size of your paycheck. Mine is inspiring people to accomplish their goals and live their very best life. It's time to stop reading other people's success stories and start writing your own. People always talk about their purpose or gift. If you have a gift, leave with your gifts and don't let your friends, family, or coworkers stop you from planning or living your dreams. My next guest is a person who leads with her gifts and shares her gifts. Her name is Felicia D. Henderson. She started a Hollywood career writing on popular sitcoms. Then a major shift occurred because she's the creator of Showtime's Emmy-nominated series Soul Food, television's first multi-season African-American drama. Currently, she is the showrunner, executive producer, and head... AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. Oracle.com slash strategic. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. 
But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand, when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward, don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. The writer of the action-filled romantic drama First Kill, premiering on Netflix June 10th. The show pits a family of vampires who are white against a family of monster hunters who are black. She's also developing the World War II drama Avenger Field for Peacock. The series stars Renee Zellweger as Jackie Cochran, who co-founded the school co-founded the U.S. Army first woman's only woman's pilot training program, and at the time of her death. In 1980, was the most accomplished American pilot, male or female, in American history. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation Masterclass, the one and only Felicia D. Henderson. How you doing, Felicia? Hi, good morning. How are you doing? Well, you know, or good um, afternoon for you, right? Good afternoon. Yes, afternoon. I'm on the East Coast. I knew you West Coast, you know, but you was out here on the West Coast, East Coast, doing you know, in Atlanta and Savannah, doing this amazing series called First Kill. There was uh that was interesting because of the fact that, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a cool play on race. It's a cool play on kind of like a Romeo and Juliet play on romance. Mm-hmm. But how did the concept come to you? <laughs> Thank you. And um, I love that you say it's a cool play on these things um, because, um, well, first, I'm going to start with answering your question. Um, <laughs> the way that this came to me is Victoria Schwab also known um, as B.E. Schwab in her writing, um, wrote a short story called First Kill. Mm -hmm. And it's part of an anthology um, called Vampires Never Die. Mm -hmm. And um, and Netflix liked it and uh, hired her then to adapt it into a TV show. Mm -hmm. So she wrote the pilot script. And then um, Netflix called my manager and asked me to read it. And I was like, nope, my Cup runneth over. Right. <laughs> I don't have time for something new. And he said, you just have to read it. And I think two or three times I was like, nope. And um, finally, he's like, for me, you know, you have longtime manager, longtime relationship. Right. They get mm-hmm. you with the for me. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> I read it and I was like, I'm in. Let's mm-hmm. set the meeting up. And um, and I, I so I loved it. And that's how I then took the meeting with Netflix, uh, met with Victoria, met with um, the folks at Bellatrix, uh, um, the other producers and um, decided to come aboard. Now, let me ask you, this. where were you at with the development of the project? Was the project already in motion or you were at the early creative stages, casting? Where was it? I want the, I want the oh, audience gosh, to really get a yes. full take of where First Kill where you would introduce because you said no four times. So I knew they were moving <laughs> along while you were saying no, sitting around thinking. <laughs> well, no, actually, because mm-hmm. to Netflix's credit, mm-hmm. they really realized they needed a voice like mine okay. in the room. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I really appreciate that they knew that this cast is one, it is 50 percent um, black, you mm-hmm. know, um, and so and it is also at the center has two young women. Mm-hmm. So they really realized this was something that was missing, you know, from where they were so far creatively. Mm-hmm. So what they had was um, Victoria's script, but they really had not moved forward because they were looking for me basically mm-hmm. right, right. Mm-hmm. and um so from the very beginning um you know i got to take a look at the script and add what i know about cultural specificity 
um, to those characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then from there, I got to hire my writing staff. Right. And, you know, then from there as a group, we, oh, and hired then the director. Mm-hmm. And then as a group, we started the casting process. Um, and um, so all of that, you know, right. some um, like Jason Moore, who plays Jack Burns, was an actor that I worked with on mm-hmm. The Punisher, mm-hmm. whom I love. So he was I thought the first he looked familiar. I thought mind. he looked familiar. I said, where do I know this guy from? Punisher was one of my favorite That's series. right. Mm-hmm. Yes, from The Punisher. You know, I knew him. And so, you know, um, so it just started like that. You know, Juliet, the Juliet of Fairmont, who was played by Sarah Catherine Hook, was the first hired. We really thought we were going to have a hard time finding the right Juliet. So that's where we started, you know. And she was outstanding, by the way, that plays the role Isn't of Juliet. She? Outstanding. And you had Cal was her, also had shared the romantic lead, who was African-American. And so the whole process, when I look at this series, you know, you know, you have to be sensitive. Because like I said, I can, I can sit down and say I'm a very talented writer, but you have a, you have a, a world that is gay and lesbian. Okay, from a writer's perspective, did you was your was your writer's room balanced like that to be able to handle that conversation? No, that's a good question, Rashawn. Um, you know, I'm a big believer that the writer's room should have the experience that you're depicting on yes. the screen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, somebody in that room. And again, you can't always have that. Obviously, if you're doing a show about aliens, you don't have aliens on your writing staff, <laughs> you know. But you have someone in there who knows aliens more than anybody else who's an alien expert. You know what I mean? Yes. So <laughs> I thought it was very important that, um, and I also, having had the experience of being the only Black writer in a room that might have a show that might have one or two Black characters. And so I've had that experience where then they come to you and every time there's something for the Black character to do, you know, they just go, so would you do that? And so I also wanted to make sure there wasn't just one queer person in the room right. who everybody was looking at going, and now we turn to you as the queer expert. Right, right, Because, right. you know, it's like like all experiences, there's no such thing as a monolithic experience of right. whatever it is that you are. And so it was important to me to have, you know, men and women queer writers in the room. It was important to me to have black writers. It's important to have white writers. It was important, you know, for all the experiences that I thought we were going to be depicting. Right, right. Obviously, there are no vampires. I'm speaking to Felicia D. Henderson, one of the top sitcom and dramatic writers and film writers in Hollywood and her new series, First First Kill. Uh, Like I said, it's it's an action-filled romantic drama and it's eight episodes long and it premieres Juneteenth. And I'm an advocate uh, I, uh, you know, I get special access because you know who I am. So I got to be able to binge watch, you know, I saw four episodes on, four episodes on Saturday and I saw four episodes on, um, uh, on a Sunday. I called her in the middle because we have a great relationship with long-term friends and just told her I loved it. And that's just why I'm going to tell you why I loved it. Because first of all, it, it was engaging. It was, um, it was entertaining. It was, uh, it misled me in a good way, you know, because I'm a know-it-all. I think, oh, I've, and that's that's good writing, you know, that's good storytelling that you engaged. And so when you look at it, when you're developing these characters, because because you have these these monster hunters, and then you have these vampires. They don't know each other, and then you're trying to create a relationship. And what what came out of it was a parenting story. Correct. 
Yeah, it really was very much about family and um, getting the opportunity to compare, you know, two very different households. You yes. know, you have warring families. They're the Capulets and the Montagues for all intents and purposes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you get to go inside both of these young women's homes and see how the fact that they now want to do what they want to do as opposed to what they were raised to do mm-hmm. and see how each set of parents deal with the fact that their their child is not doing what they're told. And so in that way, we try very much um, to have those experience, that part of the experience be incredibly normal because everyone who's a parent knows what it's like when you say go left and your child goes right. That's incredibly universal. So in that part, it's like it is time for you to do what you're told. You're 16 now. You're, but the thing that's different is like it's time for you to go. Uh, you're a vampire, so it's time for you to go right. have your first kill. Right. But how you're dealing with the idea of do what you're told, grow up and be like your family. Right. That's what both girls are being told. Be like your family. Well, you know, it's and really interesting. both girls decide on their own road. Yeah, because because you're dealing with. The reason I say it's a really good parenting story because, like our parents, we we know how to make decisions and we feel our life is headed in the right direction. Uh, mm-hmm. Juliet's father is a DA. The, the setting is Savannah, Georgia, which has that like you know Savannah has that little is next to New Orleans. It has that little ooh voodoo type vampire. Yes. Ooh, something's happening in the swamps type area at at look background look to it, and then you have these monster hunters who are at the top of the gill. You know, they're, they're the best. You know, they, they were brought into Savannah because they are here to do their job. So these are the parents. DA, successful, lead monster hunters. Then they have two daughters who are teens at that right age where they feel they're kind of grown, but they're not grown. Yes. That's what stood out to me the most in your writing room that you created with First Kill. What were the, some of the fun uh, journeys that y'all had putting each episode together. Oh, my God. We had so much fun. And, you know, one of the things you said earlier um, about, I always say when I'm putting the writing writer's room together, Rashawn, I don't really need anyone who thinks like me. I already think like me. Right. So I'm not one of those who tries to get a whole bunch of people who, you know, are going to say, yes, you're brilliant. I also say I, my goal is to always be you know, the dumbest person in the room, and I am really freaking smart. So that I am trying to, you know, elevate myself. I'm trying to elevate the material when I bring this group together. And um, Victoria and I still have the ongoing battle, all fun, that she's like, well, you know, there are no such thing as straight vampires. I was like, what are you talking about? So we'd have this ongoing battle about... (laughs) All vampires being queer. No, Victoria, if I were a vampire, I'd be a straight vampire. She's like, no, you wouldn't, because if you're a vampire, you'd be queer. So we have these kind of fun conversations. And then just people talking about, as you know, the the other writers in the room who are parents, Mm -hmm. like what they would do if their daughter did this thing. Right. And so, you know, I had my my second, my co-EP, she is a mother of four children. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, what would you do, Joyce? Like, drown them? I was like, what? She's like, my child can do something other than what I told him to do. So you have that kind of fun stuff. And then you have the fun conversations about building the mythology. Right. Because the room really built that mythology, you know, from whole cloth, where the short story that Victoria wrote 
leaves off. The short story is kind of the pilot. We do the short story in the pilot. Right. Okay. And then we have to create an entire series. And so being in that room and deciding you know, what the guild would look like, what would be the rules of the guild? How do you get into the guild? Where do these, you know, legacy vampires come from? What is their mythology? Who's the biggest, baddest one? And to also be doing that where you unapologetically within our mythology, the legacy vampires, right. you know, it's a matriarchy. Cool. So to talk about strong women getting to do, you know, what we do and, have, and being unapologetic about that because mm -hmm. that's in the mythology was just all very cool. Well, the, the interesting thing about the, the series First Kill is, is preparation, okay, because a lot of people, there was a lot of action, a lot of scenes. So how did that work out? Okay, was it a period for training, action training, before you started mm -hmm. production? And how did that production went to work when you're doing a series like that that is romantic but is very heavy action field? And because the stuff you have to, you're doing can't lead to injuries, so you can't just no. go out there and ad lib it. So talk about no, sir. That was because you know you did the Punisher, so you used to violence, you know, violence on the screen. <laughs> so can't get no more violent than Punisher. But then yes. this is your personal project but that you Violence oversee. with a purpose. Violence yeah, purpose violence. Purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I would tell you so. that before you answer that question. The fun part about this series is that you have the vampires who are somewhat invincible, okay, and then you have a young African American girl. Her name is Cal on the show, and she is can be harmed. She can be hurt. She's vulnerable. She's a human. And that mm -hmm. carries an emotion for you throughout the series of fear that something can go wrong. And that is really key in this series for me as a watcher going, don't go there. Don't do go, Come on now. Don't be stupid now. And so that was the that was the whole training process. I'm just telling you, I enjoyed it as a viewer, but also yes. as a friend. Congratulations. Thank you so much, Rashawn. I really, really appreciate that because I know that you are a very critical watcher. <laughs> You're a very critical viewer. Mm -hmm. um, I know that very well. So it meant a lot to me to get that Sunday afternoon call from you going, I'm in. Um, because I also know you to be a very honest guy. Right, right. So you would tell me, mm -hmm. I'm not in as well. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm, very, so I'm I honest. It's an honest interview. worked really, really hard. Um, you know, everyone did. And and I will tell you, the, 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 the two brothers, you know, um, from the time that the actors arrived, they went into training, okay. you know, with, with the stunt. They played the roles of Apollo and Theo. Yes, yes, Apollo Burns and um, Dominic Goodman plays um, Apollo and Philip Mullins Jr. plays uh, Theo. Mm -hmm. And they're both in incredible shape. And so it became a competition between right, them. Right. And they ended up being thick as thieves. Like they really did have that brotherly relationship. Uh -huh. And um, but they were like they were just always competitive with each other. And of course, particularly Dominic was always asking, can he do that stunt? You know, we also have stunt performers, right. but he would often want to do that stunt. Can I do that? And like, no, you cannot. But they did 90% <laughs> of their own stunts because they came, you know, ready to work that hard. And, right. um, and of course, Amani Lewis, she's a natural athlete as well. who plays Calliope Burns. So they all, there's natural athletes who already came with bodies ready and then they worked really hard and wanted to, everybody wanted it to just look really authentic. And so they worked really hard 
to make sure that it did. And I was just, I was so, so proud of them. It's the best cast. They just all came and put, gave a hundred percent every single day. You have to, you know, you're battling COVID. Okay. You know, there's not a normal time when this production was happening. People masked up and, you know, mm-hmm. being tested. How did that play a role in our frustration in this production at the time it was going on? But on the screen, you don't see that. All you see is a final result. Talk about yes. that. Yes. No, you don't see those extra 20 hours a day that, you know, I was working because of COVID and that we started before there were vaccines. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was, a, and but Netflix had very strict policies to keep us safe. And I was very strict about them. And, you know, I gave speeches I, on the set to let every, all the cast and the crew know we will be following this protocol because I promised my family I'm coming home as healthy as I left. And so we were very strict about it, but it did mean, you know, that it took longer um, because we could only work shorter days to give people mask breaks because those things could get overwhelmed when you're wearing them 12 hours a day and all of that kind of thing, you know. So it was the only ever frustrations that I ever had had to do with the challenge of, you know, producing this show during very challenging times. The actual, you know, creative side of it was wonderful, amazing and fun, you know, every day. And because everyone was working so hard, um, it made the stuff that made it difficult, like working during COVID, you could get through it because we were all a team trying to make it. We'll be right back with more Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. Now let's return to Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. Here's an interesting question, Felicia, about the series, you know, because, you know, you, you, you've got, you got eight episodes here. You know, you, you, you go, you, you put it on the wall, you try to develop this arc, how the characters connect and all this stuff. When did you feel at that point go, I got it, and then you felt that magical moment, this is special. I got it. That's one response. And then this is special. Um, I think that I have to give a lot of love and big props to Jet Wilkinson, our director. Um, Jet just, oh my God, you know, and I met her on The Punishers when we first worked together. She directed an episode I wrote and we just really clicked. And she was the first one person that I thought of, you know, because she it had to be a woman, I thought. It had to be a woman with the kind of experience that she has um, in terms of doing, you know, action. And she happens to also be, so she's kick-ass, and then she happens to be a queer woman. Mm-hmm. So Jet, and, and a woman of color. So she brought all of that to bear on this. And um, watching her work, you know that you, have, you, you just go, oh my God, I can't believe what we're accomplishing in these conditions. But when I really felt, Rashawn, like, we've got it. I was in editing. You know, it took me seeing it all being put together and mm-hmm. then the visual effects added and then Kirk Farquhar to write that killer score. You know, Netflix loved the music so much that there is a soundtrack coming out with the score. We have two official playlists of the, the music from the show all being dropped on Friday, June 10th, um, when the show drops. So it was seeing it all together going, I am so proud of this. Like I knew when I saw it all together, like I, that feeling of like, I know this is good. Absolutely. I know this is good. I know we're speaking to a lot of people. I know people are going to enjoy it and they're going to learn something. 
and they're going to appreciate what we've done. We're talking to Felicia D. Henderson. Uh, she's the executive producer, the showrunner, the head writer of the exciting action field romantic drama on uh, Netflix, premiering June 10th. It's called First Kill. One of the things I've always admired about Felicia D. Henderson is her ability to pivot. If she's if, if she's not a person that you, if you're holding hands, walking down the road, know she might veer <laughs> off, so hold it tight. Oh, hold it tight, because she will actually pull you in her direction if she sees an opportunity that she's comfortable with. And that's that's what a lot of people don't do. They get fear, stops them from shifting. How does it allow, before I go into the Renee, Renee Zerwinger project, how does that walking through silence, as some people say, or walking, uh, willing to come through, go through darkness to come out and potentially yeah. into the light, how do you how do you pull that off, Felicia? Um, you know what? I think that I have an interesting relationship with fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and that a lot of times, even my youngest sister, we once had an argument and she goes, well, I'm not like you, you know, you're not afraid of anything. <laughs> and I, I said to her, actually, I'm afraid all the time. <laughs> I just true. move despite my fear. And, um, I'm not going to ever let it control me. Mm-hmm. And I also am a person I'm all I'm just naturally inquisitive. So if I haven't done something before, um, if something looks interesting to interesting to me, I always believe I can do it. So I'm like, I want to try that thing. I love trying new things. Um, I'm at a point in my career that I only want to choose things that are significant in some way to me. Am I uplifting my race? Am I up, uplifting women? Am I up, uplifting um, groups that are not, um, you know, represented well or not enough. And, you know, first, my job always is to entertain. But while entertaining, I want to be fed myself. I'm at a place where I want to be fed. So I'm always looking for what haven't I done that then could be interesting to me. And right. um, it's always scary, particularly if you don't know what you're doing. But I take my full and whole self going, Let's go, you know. So it's a little fearful. I go anyway. And then once I make that leap, my eye is only on the goal. So no matter what happens, like with production on First Kill, you would be amazed at all that went wrong, if I had time to tell you. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people were like, oh, it's time to shut down. Oh, we're never going to make it. It's time. And I, I don't talk to those people. Right. Because right. I didn't come here to shut down. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I came here to do a show. I will not leave until that show is done. Now, so that, that lends us to shift over to another exciting project that's coming up. You know, when you look at the streaming and the cable, and at first I only had like, a, I had a DirecTV. And then I had Comcast. If DirecTV, if the rain came too hard, you know, DirecTV went away. So I always <laughs> had Comcast sitting over there. Okay, I'm going to still watch TV. Okay. And fortunately for me, I've discovered that Comcast is part of Peacock. So if you have Comcast, you will get Peacock. And so mm-hmm. that means that I don't have to buy. I already got Apple anyway. I already got Disney Plus anyway. I already got Hulu anyway. I already got HBO Plus because I got the Disney, because I got DirecTV. So this is on Peacock. It's called Avenger Field. It stars an incredibly talented actress. When you're able to work with talent like that, you know, you go, because mm. you're going from a very talented crew of, we are not, no, no dispersion, unknown talent. You know, some have excellent resumes to a bona fide, well-known actress in Renee Zellwinger. That's who this project's being developed for. Talk about making that transition and how do you look at it differently? 
um, you know what? You try your best. Once you take it and you say, you know, you try to bring your A game in anything you do. Right. Or I certainly do. And so once I say I'm going to bring, you know, writing and producing are just the gifts that God decided I should have. Right. So the way I say thank you for that is I bring my A game. I work as hard as I can. And so I want to be worthy of, you know, having been given the gift. And I want to be worthy of, you know, a two-time Oscar-winning actress's ability, right? Mm -hmm. So that's where I start. But once I do that, realize the opportunity, the blessing I've been given, I put it to the side, Rashawn, because then I just have to focus on doing the best work I can. Mm-hmm. Because if I focus on, oh my gosh, this is for Renee Zellweger, right. <laughs> then you know your mind gets all screwy, and then the pressure gets to you, you know. And yet, if I do my best, it will be good enough for her. But if I focus on, you know, the stuff that I can't control, you know, uh, will she like it? Then I can't do my best work. Right. So I come to the table already knowing what an amazing honor it is to be, get a chance to write for Renee Zellweger. Like, that's huge. I bow down. She's amazing. And so I thank God for bringing me to this place. And, and then I put it over here to the side so that I can do the job that would be worthy of her by focusing on the job, the words on the page. Well, my friend, as long as I've known you, you pushed me and you've been focused. And if I'm not focused, you refocused me. But more importantly, you, you mm-hmm. the fact that you're working on the series that I got to see on Netflix that somebody I love and I admire and I've seen grow in this industry, transition from comedy and fearlessness, you know, before the word <laughs> fearlessness was out there, you were fierce, okay? So let's go on, be real. Forget Beyonce. This is the real fierce right here. <laughs> this, <I'll take> Beyonce. <laughs> so again, First Kill, a premiering on Netflix Juneteenth. You gotta watch it. Not because she's my friend. It's, it's entertaining, it's funny, it's action-filled for sure, and it's a pretty cool take on Romeo and Juliet. And um, and it's a parenting movie that really, really strikes you as something relatable to anybody who wants their child to have a better life than they had when they were growing up. And that's what they're fighting in this family of hunters and vampires. It's called First Kill on Netflix. Thank you. Thank you, Felicia D. Henderson. Thank for coming you, on Rashawn McDonald. I love you and I appreciate <laughs> you having me on. I, I really, really do. Thank you so much. And we'll talk again on the other side. Absolutely. Hey, all righty. I want to thank everybody. If you want to see me or any of these episodes on my show, go to moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I am your host. Thank you. You've been listening to Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. Always remember to lead with your gifts. Money Making Conversations Masterclass is a presentation of 3815 Media Incorporated. You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations, Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. Hi, I'm Rashawn McDonald from Money Making Conversation with your daily Minute of Inspiration. This week I sat down with singer, songwriter, actress, producer, and award-winning artist, you know, Take Me to the King, Tamla Mann. She graced my show. And talking about her new song, He Did It For Me, Tamla shares there was a time she wondered when God was going to do it for her. Uh, how are you interviewing with me? Why are you a tie? 
I was tired, so I had to push. I took a, I took a few breaks. I took uh, some breaks. Mm-hmm. But and then two working on the music. But you know what? You have to kind of work while it's day. You have to just keep going while you can because mm-hmm. you don't know what we do. You don't know what's gonna happen next. So you kind of have to work when it's time to work. And, 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 and I think that a lot of people when don't it's do time that. to play. Then you play. Tune in to hear my full conversation with Tamela Mann on MoneyMakingConversation.com.